daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast daily, this is J.C. Sherbert. Good to be with you folks here on a Thursday. Um, And people, it has been one of those weeks, I'll tell you that right now. You ever have one of those weeks? I had one of those weeks this week. Great apologies. Uh, When I left you last Thursday, uh, of course, skipped Friday for Valentine's Day, I uh, did not know (laughs) it would be a week later uh, before I would be talking with you again. Just had some things come up uh, earlier this week with the flu, and then uh, later this week with uh, some personal stuff that was unforeseen, a family situation. We all have families, so we know how that goes. Uh, But good to be back with you. Um, going to have a show today, show tomorrow, and then we'll have some of those position breakdowns locked and loaded for you Saturday, Sunday. No show Monday, uh, and this was predetermined because I am going to uh, watch an XFL game uh, on Sunday and will not be making it back in time to do a daily podcast on Monday. Uh, so I'll leave you some position breakdowns from the recruiting class some other thoughts, some bonus episodes since uh, this week did not go as planned. So you'll have all that you want to hear from me, then back in the saddle, full speed ahead next Tuesday. we got spring practice uh, for football coming up. And then, you know, our first topic of conversation today, this basketball team. Now, tough one last night uh, in the sense that South Carolina just, you know, you can kind of tell with this team. You know, they they every team in the SEC, and I've I've probably watched more SEC basketball in terms of other schools besides the Gamecocks this year uh, than in years past. But I, I look around the league, and, and and there are some performances that they kind of make you scratch your head. And and you know, this league has good coaches, so you know it's not coaching. The players sometimes just don't play uh, with, with a lot of. Uh, how shall I say it, you know, control fundamentals at times. I mean, that's just, that's at times, and I think that's just part of basketball. Um, and you can kind of tell with the Gamecocks sometimes. I mean, the Tennessee game was not uh, a, a, you know, brilliant performance fundamentally uh, and playing in control either. Tennessee and Mississippi State, though, I'll tell you this right now, Rick Barnes, Ben Howland, you know, put those guys up there with Frank Martin in terms of the guys that are going to defend you uh, as far as basketball goes. You know, the, these guys, you know, teams over the years play excellent defense and, and that they have it no other way. So these, these were two tough defensive teams. But I don't, I don't know that Mississippi State had a lot to do with it in terms of, you know, straight up throwing the ball out of bounds, uh, Trey Hannibal trying to just one-hop with a, with a, I mean, you know, when you one hop, when you one arm and one hop a pass in basketball, to me, and I hadn't been on the court since, ooh, the the nineties, <laughs> but to me, that would make it easier to deflect, just because you got to re- you got to bring your arm back and um, kind of wind up there, you know. And if if I were defending, I think that would make it easier. But Trey Hannibal did it, and he's learning, and he's young. Uh, he also jacked up a three at an inopportune time, um, which, you know, he's a confident player. He's going to do that. But, but it seemed, you know, South Carolina, outside of Mike Coates, are, you know, nobody's having a good game. Kusnard picks up the early fouls. You know, loss, and Keyshawn Bryant keeps dribbling the ball out of his leg. I mean, he, he does one good thing, and then boom, boom, turnover, turnover, out of control. And, and that's that's been an issue for him 
since last year. It's gotten more noticeable. I think he's trying too hard. That's just my opinion. Trying too hard. Uh, needs to relax, play within himself, all that. I mean, like Jalen McCrary makes – and they Frank mentioned in the postgame they missed him, and I, I do because I think Jalen McCrary has been doing some blue-collar work on the inside, hustle plays, things like that. And I thought Wilden's Levesque actually uh, had some moments yesterday. Um but the thing that McCrary does that Bryant's not, I know they kind of at times play different positions, is that, that he's just kind of letting the game come to him. He makes mistakes too. I mean, and Bryant seems to try to want to force the issue. Uh, and it's just, it's just, especially on offense, it's just not working. You know, it's just not working right now. Uh, and it comes at op- inopportune times. Uh, A.J. Lawson, some of his turnovers the same way. Uh, you know, I, I think then Cousinard had the run out, which would have, I think Carolina was would have been down one, either he had to cut it to one or cut it to three. There were there were two times South Carolina was down forty three or sorry fifty three to forty eight, um, and then dumb shot turnover, dumb shot, and then all of a sudden Mississippi State's back up by seven or eight, then down sixty one fifty eight, which was the second run or the second of three because they they made a run at the end. Um, almost won the thing. I mean, very big, you know, they, they did not quit. I will give Carolina that, um, you know, and then bad shot, bad shot turnover. And all of a sudden, you know, you're back down nine. And then that lead eventually went to 13, 73 to 60. And then at that point, you know, Carolina, I think 15 to three was the run. Uh, Gamecocks did not. You know, and I, I think too. I thought Barnes did this the other night for Tennessee, or otherwise they may have won. Um, I'll Ben Hallen took the. I don't want to say took the air out of the ball. That's a football term, uh, or kind of slowed him down too much. You know, Frank mentioned that in the post post game too. That allowed the game guys to get back in it. But you know, heck, it would it would have been great had some things bounced their way and they would have come back and won, but they didn't. Um, and I. I hate to say this. I think, you know, this was expected. I've talked a lot about LSU, the LSU game being big, and um, I thought the Ole Miss game earlier was big that they lost, and I've talked about the Tennessee game being huge last week. Notice I haven't said that about that Mississippi State game. Uh, and I've watched Mississippi State play a lot this year and kind of followed them because, you know, they're on the schedule twice in the month of February, so you need to kind of pay attention to what they're doing. I think the Gamecocks played them twice every single year. And, you know, uh, I think that they have been one of the teams that if you just take conference play, you know, they've been one of the – like South Carolina, they've been one of the better teams in the league. You know, their non-conference may not have gone as well as they wanted to. They may not have gotten off to a great start in the conference. But they've been playing some ball. And they've got a good team and they've got a good coach. Uh, so – uh, and they are right there, too. I, you know, the net rankings for them and for South Carolina are baffling to me. Um, I, I, don't, I, I don't know exactly how you still have Arkansas up there. Because, I mean, look, folks, dig into Arkansas's non-conference schedule. They, they didn't go play Virginia and Clemson on the road or, or Wichita State or Northern Iowa. Or, I mean, you know, they didn't, they didn't really play anybody. Um, and what concerns me about that, just in general, and this has nothing to do with the Gamecocks, 
but but in general, the sport of basketball um, is the efficiency part of it. You know, and and I haven't looked at Arkansas's efficiency. I probably should before I speak about this, but you know, it, it, it's concerning when wins and losses aren't what drives the, the train. You know, um, and I get margin of victory is a good thing to factor in, and I, and I, I think efficiency should factor in, but it should never come above winning and losing. So I don't, I don't know if that's what the, the deal is. Maybe Mississippi State's not that efficient. They didn't really look that efficient last night. I just think they got a lot of good athletes, and they played good defense, and, you know, Carolina didn't play well. But I, I do think they're a good basketball team, and, and I do think they're better than Arkansas. Um, I think they're better than Alabama, quite frankly. All right, so my little soapbox there. I'm gonna I'm gonna look at those efficiency deal uh, rankings, and uh, if I can find them, I think they're on Ken Palm, uh, and, and kind of dig into that and see if that's the deal. All right, so all is not lost. Um, obviously, when you're on the bubble, every time you lose, it hurts. You know, every time you lose, it's not a positive thing. Uh, every time you win, it is. Uh, the Gamecocks were in Lenardi's first uh, next four out. Uh, I am assuming if Lenardi does any updates between now and Saturday, they're not going to be. They're going to be out. Uh, that's life on the bubble. Don't pay attention. To, I mean, no, look, pay attention to it because Lenardi's very good at predicting this thing. But but there's still time. South Carolina's still within striking distance. I mean, I don't. Uh, I've said all year. I thought. You know, thirteen and five in the league would clinch it. Well, that's still there for the taking. Now, can Carolina win five games in a row to close out the season uh, against some good teams? Well, I'll tell you this right now: that the game, the only game that you're iffy about, I think, is at Alabama, because uh, if those guys are shooting threes, which is probably why their efficiency's up and probably why they're ranked higher in the net. Uh, if they're drilling threes, they're a tough team to beat. But as Texas A&M proved last night, if you go in there and defend them, you could win. Um, I think Georgia's getting better, but Georgia's got to come to Columbia. Obviously, they beat Auburn last night. Big surprise there, too. (laughs) Um, Mississippi State comes back to Columbia. Uh, You know, so you have that. And then, of course, the LSU game. And then you play at Vanderbilt to end the season. I'm telling you, Vanderbilt's a lot better. But and it's it's a cue probably shaping up. <clears throat> looking at my cue, my cue table here, it's shaping up to be a Q three um, game, even in Nashville. I mean, Vandy will have to pull a couple more upsets for that to, or a couple more wins for it to get to that Q two territory. Um, but you still get bonus points for road wins, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, there's the adjusted winning percentage that factors in road wins. And, and you know, the road winning on the road is big. Um, you know, so I, I don't chalk any of them up as victories. <laughs> but I don't necessarily chalk any of them up as losses. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I mean, you know, I am much more concerned about at Alabama than I am with LSU at home. Uh, and this team's been good at playing on the road this year and gotten some tough wins at home. I mean, I'm sorry, on the road. Arguably, at times, they played better on the road than at home. But, you know, that Alabama game, to me, like I said, when they're shooting threes, they're tough. Um, and it's out there where Carolina has Carolina's not played Bama well. Now, Avery Johnson is no longer the coach there. Uh, so was it an Avery Johnson-Frank Martin thing? I don't know. 
But, uh, you know, first things first, LSU's coming in this weekend. It's right now still a Q1 deal, although they've struggled. And if the Gamecocks beat them, they're probably going to fall out of the top 30. And so they'll be – It'll be a Q2, but they can get back up there. I mean, they're a good team with a solid resume, probably a lot for the NCAA tournament. And and don't look now, you know, Carolina wins the game this weekend. They're 9-5 and five in the league. LSU's 9-5 and five in the league. They're tied. Um, Carolina could still realistically finish as high as second in the SEC. First, if Kentucky dropped a few. You know, Kentucky plays Florida uh, this weekend. And the Gamecocks, of course, have the tiebreaker against Kentucky. So, if you know, who knows? Who knows what could happen? All is not lost after that game, though. And I'm of the opinion Carolina does not necessarily have to win out to make it. Uh, I, I do think if they don't win out, you, you, you still have to say they're a bubble team going in the SEC tournament. We'll see how the projections and the net, the, the, the metrics and all that look at the time because there's still a lot of, a lot of time left. Um, and so what needs to happen? You know, and I, and I, I will say this, and nobody wants to hear this right now, I'd, I would be stunned if this team was not safely in the NIT. Of course, the NIT, to me, has become kind of a sack of garbage since they decided to put all the mid-major conference champions from the regular season in it. It's, it's sort of a, you know, let's see if the little guys can beat up on the big guys. Minor bowl. It's like the Birmingham. It's become the Birmingham Bowl. Uh, whereas, you know, when South Carolina won the NIT a few years back under Dave Odom, I think they played who UNLV, Syracuse, Michigan, Louisville. You know, that's good basketball. That's, that's big time. Those are big time teams. Virginia. I remember they played Virginia. Uh, now it's you know it's 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 a it's a mid major tournament essentially, and uh, and with that you don't have the spots. You know that's why the last two years Carolina hadn't gotten in the NIT because there's not you know there's not the spots. You know you got Ryder or Iona or whoever you know getting bumped out in their conference tournament and you know they get that spot instead of a, a 500 South Carolina team. So anyway, that's uh, that's the deal there. And, and I, I look before everybody goes. Well, they went, you know, because that the limestone game or whatever didn't count last year. Francis Marion, whoever they played, so they were a losing team, and losing teams don't get in. That, that's true. North Carolina got in one time with a losing record. I don't think the Tar Heels are getting in this year to the NIT. I, I think the Tar Heels are going to have to win the ACC tournament. Um, so kind of a screwy year in Chapel Hill. Uh, on the basketball court as well. All right, so what needs to happen? Okay, so I pulled out a spreadsheet and I started looking at it. And uh, you know, here, here's here's the deal. Right now, Carolina, you know, sitting at two, three Q1 wins. Two of them are on the road: Virginia, Kentucky, and then that Arkansas game. The good news with Arkansas not dropping uh, is that that's still a Q1 win, and I think they're going to be safely inside the top seventy-five. Uh, and then you got some some other Q2s at Clemson, uh, Tennessee at home, at Georgia, at Texas A&M are all Q2 wins. Texas A&M's win brought them into the Q2 area in terms of being on the road. Um, you know, I, I know this is speaking taboo, but I say it all the time. And I went on a big spiel about it the other day. You need to pull for Clemson. I know you don't want to, but you need to pull for Clemson. 
Uh, Clemson right now 79th in the net. They move up four or five more spots, preferably 10, to get safely inside the top 75. That 13-point win at Little John for Carolina becomes a Q1 win. Um, And looking at Clemson's schedule, and uh, they start – it starts Saturday uh, at BC. Um, Boston College is kind of sort of similar to the Tigers. But it starts Saturday at BC. Kind of crazy that they get a week off after their biggest win of the year, which is a – 15-point win over Louisville, and then they beat Pitt by 20 the other night. So pretty solid performance there by the Tigers. Uh, But you look at their schedule, and and here's the Clemson schedule. At Boston College, winnable. At Georgia Tech, winnable. Florida State at home. Florida State's really, really good, but I have to say that's winnable at home. Uh, At Virginia Tech, uh, they played to open the season at Little John. That'll be a toss-up. Uh, and then Georgia Tech at home again. So Clemson, they have five games left. They could win four of those. And in my opinion, that could get them right there inside that top 75 safely, thus making it a Q1 win. Now you have a problem in the ACC with Virginia right now. For some reason, the, the Cavaliers' metrics aren't all that great. Uh, Lenardi still has them last four buys, the defending national champs. You know, good win surviving at North Carolina the other night by the Cavaliers. So they have to stay in the top 75 as well. Um, they play Pitt noon Eastern time, ESPN2 on the road. Uh, and, and look, Virginia's won three in a row. Squeakers against Notre Dame, North Carolina, but they beat Boston College last night. Uh, They go at Pitt, at Virginia Tech, Duke at home, at Miami, and then Louisville. So Virginia is a little more precarious right now uh, than maybe Clemson. But, you know, uh, and that starts noon, ESPN2, Virginia at Pitt. Uh, Clemson at Boston College, 6 p.m., ACC Network. That's during the South Carolina game, so you can kind of, you know, follow the score there. But. So that's that right there. Um, All right, so who to pull for? And I broke this down, too. Uh, And this is fun. And and I know the Gamecocks lost last night, and, you know, people, the tendency is to be nervous or upset. I mean, look, end of the day, the net net didn't drop. End of the day, you still got everything in front of you. End of the day, this team can still win the SEC championship. Okay? You know, all is not lost. Now you lose Saturday? Heck yeah. That gets a little bit precarious. (laughs) Um, Still not completely over, but that gets precarious. It's a home loss to a a, a top 30 team. Um, And the Gamecocks need to, you know, to counteract the bad losses they've had. And really, they haven't had that many. You know, everybody's going to talk about Stetson BU, Stetson BU, Stetson BU. Well, Boston University is now a Q3 loss. Which isn't as bad as a Q4. And Stetson is a you know second place team in their conference. And, you know, they could, if they pull an upset, like I talked about these upsets earlier, uh, they could win their conference regular season, maybe rent win the uh the um tournament. Wouldn't it be something if they won the regular season of their conference, got in the NIT, Carolina plays in the NIT and plays Stetson in the first round? Wow. Woe is me. 
Woe is me if that happens. <laughs> the Hatters. Um, you know, everybody talks about that. You know, Carolina, you know, there are Q, 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 potential Q3 losses that, that could have happened within the league. You know, uh, they could have lost at UMass. They could have lost at home to Texas A&M or Vandy. I mean, they haven't. They played solid ball. Um, so, I, I, you know, I – Yes, that hurts. Probably hurts the overall net ranking. I think there's something else. I mean, Kentucky has a Q4 loss. I think there's something else. I think there's something with those those, those efficiency numbers um, that, that's keeping that net ranking down. Maybe not enough good wins. Maybe the teams they've beaten have not performed well or they're just now starting to. You know, Clemson was in the 100s for a while. I, I don't know. I don't know. But that's that. So, so all right, so here's who you got to pull for, you know. And uh, regretfully, I did not pull the game Ole Miss is playing this weekend. So whoever Ole Miss is playing, pull for Ole Miss. Because that Ole Miss is right on the cusp of being a Q1 loss. It's a Q2 loss now, right on the cusp of being Q1. Pull for Ole Miss. Uh, pull for Florida. Do not pull for Florida this weekend. <laughs> because they play Kentucky 6 p.m. ESPN at Rupp. Uh, you don't want them... You know, and here's why. You know, Florida beat Carolina at home. Um, but the Gamecocks and Gators are right there neck and neck in the standings. I don't think Florida's necessarily on the wrong side of the bubble like the Gamecocks are right now. They're on the right side of the bubble, but they're still a bubble team. And we're at the point now where other bubble teams you kind of hope lose because, you know, the bubble's the bubble. Um, I still think Florida's going to make it in. But uh, – the Kentucky win needs to continue to be impressive. Um, plus, and I hell, I don't know. I mean, if Kentucky loses, that, that brings the Gamecocks within striking distance in terms of the conference. So maybe I'm wrong there, but my pick would be pull for the Wildcats. Uh, Georgia at Vanderbilt. You want Georgia to continue to win because Georgia is right there in that top 100 uh, in terms of um, the net ranking at the moment. And, you know, you kind of want them to stay – Right there as a as a Q two win on the road, and hey, if they can get hot, maybe get in the top. Yeah, they're not going to be a Q one win for the Gamecocks at home, but they could kind of sneak into Q two. Right now, it's a Q three. So yeah, pull for Georgia. What the heck? Pull for Georgia until they play Carolina again. Um, I mentioned Stetson. They play at Liberty. Liberty's got a like a top seventy net ranking. Uh, in that conference, those are the two big dogs. Stetson's a game behind in the standings. Uh, 5 p.m. ESPN 3. Catch it on the internet, so pull for the Hatters. Uh, I, you know, and, and we've talked about this on thebigspur.com. I, you know, Stetson's net ranking is not going to ever be high enough to where it's not a Q4 loss. But if they win some sort of conference championship – that only helps diminish that loss. That's still a bad loss. There's still no excuse. No excuse for using, losing that one. No excuse for losing to Boston U. If, if those two losses hadn't happened, game guys would be sitting there at 18-8 and eight and probably safely in the NCAA tournament. Um, it didn't happen. So you want to kind of diminish that loss. Big one with Liberty. Te- Texas A&M versus Mississippi State. Um, Texas A&M seven and six in the league, man, it's amazing. Um, and yet their net is way down, and so and they win ugly. So maybe it's the again, 
my theory is maybe it's these efficiency numbers, you know, where it, wins don't count as much or, or whatever. I don't know. Um, if you look at some of the RPIs out there, though, we used to use the RPI. Um, it's not that much different than the net. So maybe it's maybe that's not it. Who knows? Uh, but Texas A&M plays Mississippi State. Uh, I would say that you would want A&M to win and keep bumping their, their net up uh, because the road win at College Station, which was about 14 points, that, that moved into the Q2 category last night. Um, Mississippi State is a fellow bubble team, uh, and the Gamecocks do have another shot at them when they come to Columbia. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think the Aggies – at home against the Bulldogs, that would be, you know, that'd be who you'd want to pull for there. Arkansas against Missouri at home, and Mizzou's been playing better lately, but uh, you need Arkansas to win just because I'm – my concern with Arkansas is that they're going to fall out of the top 75 if they keep losing. And then that that goes from a Q1 win to a Q2 win. So it's time for the Razorbacks to sort of step up. I mentioned Clemson, BC, Virginia, Pitt. Uh, and those are the games I kind of circled on Saturday. It's always fun, I think, no matter what uh, the situation is, uh, to be in this position when you're following college basketball, the bubble, all that. Um, it's nerve-wracking. <laughs> and i tell you this, when, when Jermaine Cousinard blew that layup last night, you know, I, I realized, man, this is, this is a hard deal. <laughs> you know, this is just completely nerve-wracking when this is happening in this sport. But it's what makes it fun, and, I mean, it's good, I think, overall that the team's in the hunt. You know, I, I think that's a, that's a positive thing, um, regardless of what ultimately happens at the end of the season. And I don't know what will happen at the end of the season, uh, depending on the postseason destination. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen with the program. Um, and not saying changes will happen, not saying changes won't. Uh, you know, I don't have any information either way. I think that, you know, it, obviously this team's trying to make the NCAA tournament. And that's – and I still think with, with these games left, you know, you, you've got five left. Um, and you could win them all, you could lose them all. Um, there's, a, there's that much parity, I think, in this league this year. And so let it play out, you know, as my good friend and podcast co-host Tony Morrell always says, let it play out. And uh, Tony will be back next Wednesday with me, Football Insider. We didn't have a lot this week uh, to really talk about. We were going to do an episode until I had some stuff come up, but, you know, probably good to punch all that to next week. And with that, we'll transition to football here. Um, so the coaching staff situation uh, and I don't know what they're waiting on to make a final announcement or whatever, but spring practice starts a week from yesterday. So I'm assuming it'll be all finalized. Uh, looks like Rodriguez Wilson is coming home, and that's a heck of a hire. You know, there's a guy that walks in the door with a Super Bowl ring who's from the state, uh, who, you know, I remember as a player a high-character person, former Gamecock, played in the Lou Holtz era, uh, just a guy that, you know, has, has paid his dues. You know, paid, played Charleston Southern, you know, got that done as an assistant there, then went to the NFL, uh, Super Bowl champion. You know, I, I think that's, uh, that's a lot of credibility walking in the door. 
Um, and I think with regards to in-state recruiting, recruiting in the low country, coaching the position, you know, landing an up-and-comer on your staff that's a Carolina guy, which I think is important, um, probably couldn't make a better hire. You know, and you add him with Tracy Rocker on defense, you know, you're you got a good deal going on that side of the ball. So we'll see kind of how all that goes. But um, that news has been reported. Uh, the running backs coach position, which, you know, Tommy Robinson or Des Kitchings or what's going on, you know, what, what's, what's the deal? Well, we may just be looking at uh, a shift on that side of the ball, shift, shift back. Uh, Bobby Bentley has been working with the running backs. Uh, kind of running meetings and stuff. And, and I want to say this. Yeah, that's not a sign necessarily. That's an interim deal. They're preparing for spring practice. You're getting ready. You know, if Brian McClendon's still looking around for another job, you know, we, we know the Steelers thing's not going to happen. You know, you don't necessarily sit there and just say, okay, well, we'll be Mac here moving here uh, to running backs, and then he leaves, and then, you, you know, you, you're confusing everybody. <laughs> um, and, and Bobby Bentley was, uh, you know, basically assistant quarterbacks coach, so it's easy for him to slide over. Um, so logistically, you know, I, I don't know that that's I, – I, I think that there are signs there that that's probably what's going to happen. He's moving back to running backs. But, you know, don't slam the door on it because, remember, nothing's been officially confirmed yet. So you got to wait on all that. And so that doesn't mean – that doesn't mean, you know, that that's necessarily, you know, the bottom line, you know, how, how they're going to move forward. Now I'll say this. Do I agree? You know, you know, first of all, Bobby Bentley got a bad rap coaching running backs. You know, as far as, like, his guys being injured, people were talking about the – the, the rotation philosophy, it was no different than Thomas Brown. When Thomas Brown had injuries, he had to play his other guys. Um, Rico Dowdle gets hurt first play of the Florida game. Mon Denson plays most of that game. I mean, you know, it, it's there, there's no difference coaching-wise. Um, I think Thomas Brown being, you know, the, the, the recruiter of running backs that he is, you know, helped them go get Marshawn Lloyd. But I'll also remind you that, you know, Bobby Bentley had Tank Bigsby lined up. And so, and he's a pretty good recruiter too. So, I, you know, I, you know, you look at it and is it, from a standpoint of, I think it's a little bit unfair to Bentley in terms of, you know, his path, I guess. Um, because, I, you know, I think he did a great job with the tight ends this year, then moving to help Bobo with the quarterbacks. I mean, that's, a, that's his, up his alley. Um, and, and, you know, at running back, too, the running back's coach gets a lot of blame when he shouldn't. Um, he can't help it. Players get hurt. That's a, that's a program issue. That is not a running back's coach issue when his running backs get hurt. Um, you know, what if Marshawn Lloyd and Kevin Harris get hurt next year? I mean, and Zaquandre White uh, has to adjust a little bit. Deshaun Fenwick. Um, who I've heard some good things about, by the way. I want to pass that along. I've heard good things about Fenwick this offseason. 
So, uh, you know, if you have injuries again, you know, you hang the guy out to dry. Probably, though, if there's injuries at running back again next year, not going to be a very good year, and there's going to be bigger fish to fry. Um, and the reason I say all this, too, guys, is because is Brian McClendon is one of the best running backs coaches in the, in, in the SEC modern era. I mean, he didn't coach receivers at Georgia the whole time. He coached running backs, and he's really good at it. Then they brought in Thomas Brown, and he flipped. He switched to receivers, and you know. So I don't know. I mean, you got Joe Cox over there. Do you move him to? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And, and I and and just to kind of reiterate this, nothing is official yet. We haven't even gotten official confirmation on Rodriguez Wilson, although we've confirmed it through sources. So. At the end of the day, you know, what happens with the offensive staff happens with the offensive staff. I, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate the way this has kind of gone down because everybody, you know, coaching changes, people kind of see the bright, shiny object and think, you know, that's, the, that's the, the pathway to salvation, I guess. And so everybody wants Brian McClendon gone. Gone! You know, let's just get him out. Because they, you know, see a guy like Des Kitchings who – you know, has signed a lot of the great players out of North Carolina, and that means good recruiting. And, you know, he had some guys at NC State that were really – I mean, you know, you, you, you look at his track record at State and, and inside the state of South Carolina and North Carolina, boy, that's a guy that could fit in good. And, you know, it's easy to go for the bright, shiny object. But, you know, Brian McClendon, I, you know, he's, if he's not calling plays, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know that he's a bad guy to keep on staff. So, I don't know. I, I understand the frustration with it, and I understand the interest in all of it. Uh, but at the end of the day, if the Gamecocks can't move the ball next year on offense, if they don't get better play calling, which I'm assuming they would. I mean, I'm assuming Mike Bobo would be a better play caller. If they don't stay healthy and get better play calling on offense, they're not going to do that much better. They may get to 6-6. Six and Because six. last year's team, honestly – you know, if you think about it, even though I think the Tennessee and Missouri losses were inexcusable with how they went down, because you're dealing with collapses, and you, need, you, you should never collapse. But at the end of the day, you know, J.C. Horn doesn't drop a pick six. Jake Bentley doesn't overthrow Shy Smith. They beat North Carolina. At the end of the day, that game against App State, the Gamecocks played well enough on defense uh, to where – just a few a play here or there, and they win that one by the skin of their teeth, and they go six and six and go to a bowl. Um, you know, so you consider that with kind of the overall dumpster fire, um, and you can get to six and six, but are things going to be significantly better? I don't know. I just don't know. I also don't know that it's fair if Mill Muschamp gets everybody back to a bowl and redid the offense and has a new strength program that, that you, you know, because you elected to keep him and you decided you made the statement that this is the answer for your football program. Okay. Cause there are other coaches to be had this year, bottom line. Uh, and one more year types of deals suck. They don't work. Think about it. Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier both did a one more year thing. You know, Holtz retooled his staff 2004, got back to bowl eligibility, and then we saw the disaster that ended there. Steve Spurrier had a one-more-year deal in him and brought in John Hoke, didn't retool his staff, 
And that ended midway through. Um, Brad Scott did a one more year, redid his staff, brought in old friend Chuck Reedy, and went one and ten. Poor Sparky Woods had a good year four ending. That was the Tannehill year. He came off the bench, came back. People were excited. They go on the road, beat Georgia to be, you know, with the famous branded Bennett play to begin the season. That team finishes four and seven. He gets fired. And and the, the, the Sparky year is the only year that I can sit there and go, oh, yeah, there was no desperation. It was just, I mean, second year in the Southeastern Conference in your South Carolina after being in the Independence Wilderness for all those years. So, I don't know. One more year, things don't work. I think if, if you're going to say – we're going to do a long-term. And, look, I'll, I'll take you back to year five of the Steve Spurrier era. Year four for Spurrier, they went seven and six and went to the Outback Bowl, but that was their worst team. If you remember, that team got thumped by Florida 56-6. to six. They got thumped by Clemson 31-14. And then they were not competitive against Iowa in the Outback Bowl 31-10. Next thing you know, six coaches are gone. Now – 09 was a better deal. You know, 09, the Gamecocks upset a fourth rank, whatever, for whatever reason, Ole Miss was fourth in the country. <laughs> upset them. That was kind of, I think that was one of the first Sandstorm games. Uh, played a good Florida team that was ranked number one on a long winning streak. Played them tough at home. And then beat Clemson. Beat the ACC Atlantic champions 34 17 at home. Now, they lost the frozen pizza bowl out in Birmingham, which, number one, they don't even have a SEC bowl game in Birmingham anymore. There's plenty of other options, okay? Have a Conference USA bowl game there, not an SEC bowl game. Number two, you know, that was a bad game. And Carolina has never played well at Legion Field, ever. So I don't care if the Gamecocks ever play in Birmingham again. But anyway, I, I digress. Uh, but that, that year was a seven and six year, year five of Spur. And then it was the next year when Marcus Lattimore comes in. And, you know, those that group from 09, Stephen Garcia and those guys were a little older. Defense was a little better, you know, and, and, and they, they won the SEC East. And then next year they won 11, 11, 11. You know, that was kind of how they got it going. Um. And so that was year six. So if you're going to say this is our long-term guy, which the jury is out, this is a theory that Ray Tanner has, that Will Muschamp is – and look, I'm not saying I completely disagree with Ray Tanner's theory. Um, you know, I personally thought Will Muschamp was the right guy and is the, you know, is, was the right guy to hire at the time. And I thought when you look at his first three years, I, I said they need somebody that's a good enough football coach to come in here, backfill the roster, recruit, 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 and then keep it above water, i.e. go to bowl games, have winning seasons. Didn't expect them to beat Clemson, especially with the way Clemson was playing. You know, they had pulled the upset over Georgia last year. That was nice. Make progress every year and go. You know, I mean, people – chastised me for saying they could go 11 and 2 uh in 2018 they went 7 and 6 but if you think about it you know 7 and 5 in the regular season there were three games A&M being one um you know Florida being the other 
Uh, and then, you know, wide open guys down the field against Kentucky in a two touchdown loss. You know, some of those plays go a different way. They are ten and two. And who's to say they would they don't show up for the bowl game? So, you know, that's what was just so shocking about twenty nineteen was, you know, wow. You start off, same old crap. It was like the same old team against North Carolina. You know, and and Will Muschamp, as a head coach, hasn't been in the habit of blowing leads. And now all of a sudden he's blowing leads. You know, if you look at the stats, when leading after third quarter, he's pretty good. Well, Florida the last two years, and the North Carolina game, and, you know, some other ones. So things just kind of went against the trend. Well, so at that point, after a year four, I think you, you got to look at body of work and you have to decide, is this, is this going to be Florida 2.0? Because to that point, it hadn't been. You know, from the moment they blew the 31-14 lead at the Swamp, until that game, from the start of the Muschamp era, until that game, that by any measure, I don't care what you say, South Carolina was an overachieving outfit under Will Muschamp, and he had done a fantastic job. Now, did he deserve an $18 million buyout or whatever? I don't know. I mean, Andy Staples had a piece in The Athletic about how agents strong-arm ADs and schools and stuff like that. And I think that's more of a college football problem. Um, it's not a problem just directly related to South Carolina only. But, uh, you know, you, you, you look at it, and I think by any measure till that point, they had overachieved. Now, were there games they would have liked to have had back, particularly 2017 against Kentucky? Yes, obviously. That was a stinker. Um, you know, some performances, the performance in 2017 at home against Clemson, I, I think South Carolina, number one, every player that was fast on that roster, A.J. Turner, Shai Smith, come to mind, and of course Debo was out, was hurt before that game. Um, so, you know, so we'll see. I, I just, uh, you know, but till that point, but but then after that point, you, you have to really look at it, and, and there's just, here comes another round of injuries, here comes some inexplicable losses, uh, here comes not being able to get it together on offense. I mean, you know, you're up 21-17 at Tennessee. I mean, you, you know, you're losing ground against teams you've beaten in your division. And and that's, you know, people say South Carolina's a tough job because they're right there between Georgia and Clemson. Yeah, but you know what? Quite frankly, right now, you know, yeah, you may be behind Georgia and Clemson, but you're never going to catch Georgia and Clemson unless you can put Missouri and Tennessee and Kentucky in your rearview mirror most years. And as a program, the University of South Carolina is more than capable of doing that. I mean, the woe is me, 125 years of mediocrity, never going to win. So, you know, I I get it if you're talking about Georgia and if you're talking about where Clemson is as a program right now. But but you're talking about Missouri, Tennessee, and Kentucky. I mean, even Texas A&M isn't a juggernaut. So, I, I don't know. So, you got to ask your question there, you know, and, and that that's my thing about it after year four is that it's been four years. Not very many coaches survive a catastrophic fourth year, especially when they weren't of popular hire. And no matter how much 
I like the hire and other people like the hire and half the people like the hire. It was not a universally respected hire, and it probably wasn't going to be because you had 17 and a half years. The Game Pass have had two head coaches, two coaching searches, and um, they ended in Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier. So there's like you know two decades of the expectation of well, heck, let's go hire Bill Belichick. You know, <laughs> I mean, and that just doesn't happen. So who, no matter who it was, wasn't going to come in with universal support. But the unique challenge with Muschamp was that he was at Florida. He went one and three against Carolina while he was there. Uh, Florida, since that point, under McElwain, has had another historically bad year. But Muschamp's one bad year down there where he lost Georgia Southern was really bad, you know, in terms of where that program's been. And and so, yeah, it's going to take a tough sell. You know, you look beyond that and you think about, you know, who he is and what he does. And, and look, I was all behind it. And, and look, I'm not not behind it. I'm not saying they made a mistake by keeping Will Muschamp. I'm saying this. Number one, I don't think it was a, a, an open and shut decision by Ray Tanner. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that it was a decision where that's without something that can be questioned. Now, that doesn't say he's – that doesn't mean he's wrong – but that doesn't necessarily mean he's right. That's A. B, you know, I think that if you're going to, you know, restructure things, get a new strength program, go a new direction on offense again, you know, you still got a lot of young players, a good recruiting class coming in. You know, I, I think that barring a losing season next year, it's fundamentally unfair, you know, based on the decision that the head of athletics at the University of South Carolina made. To do a one and done, I just, I, I just, I don't think that's fair. Just because if you're going to take the opinion that this is a long, long, long term build, and you know, like, like that you knew you were going to go four and eight in year four, which nobody did. That's that's not true. Um, if you're going to say, oh, it was just one bad year, it's part of a process, and if he trends it back up, then he's got to be there for 2021. In my opinion. You know, get to a bowl, I think he's safe. Now, will we come back and see year six, seven, eight, and then go, wow, they just wasted eight years? Maybe. In year six, seven, and eight, will everybody going to go, wow, I'm glad they stuck with Muschamp? Maybe. <laughs> I don't think it's an open and shut situation there either. It's just the nature of football. We have to see kind of what happens and, quite frankly, how the ball bounces. But – you know, all that has really nothing to do uh, with the current assistant coach situation. It's going to be interesting to follow. I, like I said, I do think Rodriguez Wilson's a heck of a hire. Um, mad respect for that guy. Just as a human being, um, as a guy that's, you know, been a team player his whole life. I remember when he was a quarterback prospect out of cross. I uh, know some people that know him, think that it's a – you know, I think he's really going to be a special member of the staff, and he's coming in with a Super Bowl ring. So there you go. That's uh, that's awesome. And he coached special teams for the Chiefs, so he can help Kyle Krantz, the new special teams coordinator. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be really something, uh, I think, uh, with his addition. And we'll see how the offensive staff shakes out. All right, gave you guys forty-seven, forty-eight, almost fifty minutes today. Like I said, be back tomorrow. Bonus episodes over the weekend. Uh, I got to get those recruiting position breakdowns 
Um, only supposed to release once one podcast a day, barring major breaking news. So that's kind of what we're going to adhere to the guideline, 24 seven sports guidelines here. Um, but I'll, I'll release those over the weekend. No show Monday. Cause I'll be coming back from my XFL game. I'll be really looking forward to, you know, talking to you guys about uh, that experience because I think that's uh, that's kind of neat. I, I've never been to I've been to NFL games, not XFL or any of those other leagues. So um, I'm looking forward to that and uh, certainly looking forward to continuing to talk with you guys here uh, on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Weekend preview tomorrow, like I said, a couple of weekend episodes, big basketball game this weekend as LSU comes to town. And uh, we'll see kind of how it all plays out. All right, folks. Hope you have a wonderful Thursday. This is J.C. Sherbert. This has been ITG Daily.